Welcome. Welcome to Talking Through the Numbers, a podcast produced by Wilder Research. Our goal? To provide insight on significant issues. We want to combine sound information with expert knowledge to enrich our understanding of things that affect our communities and our world. I'm Paul Matesic, Executive Director of Wilder Research. In this episode, our topic is caregiving, specifically caregiving for an older person. Three experts have come to the studio for our conversation. Maureen Kenny is Director of Aging Services at the Amherst H. Wilder Foundation, supporting informal caregivers of older adults through resource referral, education, support, and consultation in community and at the Wilder Community Center for Aging. Maureen has presented locally and nationally, helping build awareness of caregiving issues and supports available through community-based programs. She holds a Master's of Public Affairs from the Humphrey School of Public Affairs at the University of Minnesota and has worked in healthcare and the nonprofit sector for over 25 years. Dorothea Harris leads the Volunteers of America Minnesota Culturally Responsive Caregiver Support and Dementia Consultation, which was developed in response to the pressing need for culturally appropriate caregiver support and community education. She's developed and implemented new programs for African-American, Hmong, and East African caregivers, and she has advocated for funding to support culturally specific caregiver support programs and expanding the number of diverse professionals. She holds a master's in social work from Augsburg College and is a licensed independent clinical social worker. Kristen Lindbergh is a research scientist at Wilder Research. Her work focuses on understanding the needs of older adults and caregivers to determine the best ways to provide support, including how to meet the needs of caregivers in cultural communities and the increasingly racially and ethnically diverse population of older adults in Minnesota. Chris has a master's degree in gerontology from Bethel University and is a certified professional gerontologist. So welcome and thank you for sharing your time on this episode and on this very important topic. First of all, just to get started, and maybe this is for you, Chris, how do we define a caregiver? Who falls into that category? Care, when we're talking about caregivers here, we're talking about um, the informal family members or friends who care for uh, an older adult um, who needs some um, support in making their way through their day, um, taking care of the things that need to be taken care of. So it is important to emphasize that today we're talking about informal, informal caregiving. Caregivers. We're not talking about people who are paid and in organizations to provide care. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything else that uh, Maureen, Dorothea, you'd add into the definition? Yeah, well, I, I, I like informal caregiver. Of course, these are people working in the community and in their homes, uh, but it's family members, loved ones. Family yeah. members, loved yeah. ones. Who are in this. Mm -hmm. So how many people fall into the caregiver category, say, say in the state of Minnesota? There are actually, um, the 2013 figure is there are 585,000 caregivers. So more than half a million. Mm-hmm. Yep. How, okay. exactly. How about, do we know for the United States, the country um, as a whole? Yeah, it's um, f about 40 million caregivers. Okay, would be in that category of informal caregiving. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Um, do people themselves identify as caregivers or do they not think of themselves in that way? Would a caregiver know they're a caregiver? Maureen, do you have a yeah, thought on that? Yeah, that, that whole identity question, I think for the most part, people don't identify as a caregiver. They identify as a spouse, as a son or daughter, a friend, a partner. Um, I think it's key to normalize the conversation and maybe talk about it more as caregiving or caring mm -hmm. as opposed to a label of a caregiver. Because okay. some people will never resonate with that term, caregiver. Um, and I think podcasts like this and dialogues in the community will help people understand that caregiving is a common thread through all of our lives. Mm. It's normal. It's been going on for, for hundreds and thousands of years. Um, and it's a it's really the crux of our communities, that mm -hmm. people care for one another. As people age, we care for each other. So it gets tricky when we expect people to fit into a label. Um, so I think it's more important to talk about caring. Caring, and, caregiving, yep. caring. Okay, yep. Dorothea, would you... You take that same point of view? Yeah, I actually do. I think that uh, our Western culture really wants to uh, put people in a box and to, to make those labels, and uh, especially people of color that have uh, been through, um, you know, a lot of uh, inappropriate labeling that they don't want a new label. And that's why culture is so important, because we, as professionals, certainly want to serve people. However, we have to be able to, uh, as Maureen said, you know, communicate and normalize it and talk about it like it's something that, you know, people generally do in their homes regularly to care for one another, which which they do. Sure. And I know uh, at the risk of putting people into a box a little more right now in the conversation, uh, do caregivers, people who are doing caregiving, have any particular characteristics with half a million people i'm sure there's somebody representing every demographic in there but you know are they mostly one gender or the other or uh certain ages or anything that we know about that well it would lean definitely toward um more female caregivers mm -hmm. um and there are a lot of daughters who are doing the caregiving mm. um but you're right that it it is everybody um mm -hmm. it doesn't um distinguish much. Mm -hmm. And Dorothea, you focused very specifically in your professional career on cultural differences. Are there particular cultural differences we should be thinking about right now? Yeah, I would say that uh, one thing in general that normalizes um, who we all are as human beings is caregiving can be a lot of work. And um, you can see I'm working with uh, a Hmong girl now, and she never even heard the word caregiving, but she has mother and father and uncle and grandma and I mean the house is just full of older adults and I could see the stress on her and just the overwhelmingness of trying to work herself and do the caregiving and so we certainly want to be open and, and look for uh, the traits and the behaviors of people that are caregiving. Okay. Uh, it seems that we've seen an increase in the volume of caregiving of older adults over the past few decades. Why is this? What what caused the change? Well, there are, it's complex, obviously, but there are um, an increasing number of older adults. Um, people are living longer, and um, they're living with chronic conditions. Um, and there's a need for uh, care, informal caregivers to take care of this 
growing population. Okay. So, Chris, you're saying the aging of the population, that demographic, the, f the fact that we're living so much longer, that okay. explains mm -hmm. a lot of it. A lot of it. Mm -hmm. And that's happening in Minnesota and mm -hmm. elsewhere. Yes. Okay. Um, why is this growth that we're seeing an issue? Why do we need to talk about it? Maureen, you were saying earlier it's important to have podcasts like this and other avenues for getting the word out. What, just, just why is that? Well, as Chris said, the, the demographic shift, I think I, I've seen that starting in 2011, there's 10,000 people turning 65 every day, and that's going to continue for a number of years. And our formal system can't be the only source of support and resources and, um, and, and care for the family caregiver. So we need to shift um, a reliance that a service provider is, is going to be there for every family caregiver be, because the, the numbers just don't support that. So it's about integrating the capacity to care within our communities, within the healthcare system, within our, our neighborhoods, within um, home and community-based services, um, in order to meet the needs that are here today and are coming, we need to be able to deliver services differently. Sure. You know, and maybe there's no answer to this, but you mentioned numbers. Do we have a sense for among the older people who need care, what proportion are getting that care from a formal service provider, an institution, organization, whether for-profit, non-profit, whatever, versus those who are getting care from an informal care provider. Do we know anything about that? I don't know no. what yeah. the statistics are. I don't know what the statistics okay. are, but I, okay. I know in um, minorities and people of color, um, I'm sure that the, the numbers are not do not reflect um, uh, people of color as well as they do uh, the mainstream. mainstream. And again, because of culture, uh, people of color are caring for their loved ones um, as uh, part of what they do traditionally. Sure. And even with, well, you know, the African-American as well as other people of color predominantly here in Minnesota experience some of the largest racial and ethnic inequalities in the healthcare system, mm -hmm. as well as incidents of chronic disease in the country. I was reading that from the Blue Cross Blue Shield 2018, the cost of health inequities mm -hmm. in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And so we have uh, not only elder adults, but we have a lot of uh, minorities that are dealing with uh, comorbidities, uh, various diseases that um, need care. And so there's just a lot of caregiving going on. Sure. And that, of course, uh, is an answer to the question of why this uh, growth in the caregiving is an issue for us, why we need to talk about it. Are there, are there other angles on that of why you think this is an important issue, Dorothea or, or Kurtz? Looks yeah, like. well, I mean, caregivers are really the backbone of the long-term care system. Um, the older adults are choosing to um, often remain in their homes as they get older, and that requires the support of somebody um, to be able to do that. It saves money. Um, it's less expensive than going into a facility, into assisted living or a um, skilled nursing facility. Um, and so we have to be able to keep the caregivers doing what they're doing. Um, you know, the, as we've said, the stress and exhaustion experienced by caregivers is really well documented. And if we don't 
take care of the caregivers and support them, the you know the the backbone is sure. Is going so we to need to think about collapse. caring for the caregivers themselves. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Paul, if I can add, I know yeah. years ago I saw some statistic that 92% of long-term care is being done in our communities by family caregivers. Mm -hmm. And I know right now on the Department of Human Services website, um, they quote that the value of that informal caregiving, that family care, is close to $8 billion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. The in value Minnesota. of that, which mm -hmm. is more than the state of Minnesota spends on Medicaid expenditures and long-term services and support. So the state is recognizing that the value that these family caregivers are providing, um, it would bankrupt the state. We couldn't quite do it. We right. couldn't do it. Well, yeah, yeah and, and to add to that statistic, too, I know that, um, that the estimate is that um, caregivers provide 544 million hours of care per year. Mm. In Minnesota. Yeah. That's in Minnesota. That's a lot of mm -hmm. full-time equivalents there. Yeah. It is, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And, and it's, it's important for caregivers to, or professionals, to really understand the value of how much caregivers need to have our support and uh, for us to be there for them. They are so uh, engulfed in, in being caregivers and doing what they're supposed to do. They don't even realize how much care, how much support, support um, that they actually need. So you almost have, you know, two, two patients or two clients. I mean, you know, you have to be able to balance it out in order to be able to sustain keeping both of them together sure. in the home. Mm -hmm. What are the family dynamics involved in determining who will be a caregiver? How is that determined? Is it? thought of as one person? Is it a shared responsibility? Just how does that interaction among family members usually occur? Well, caring for an elder is a respectful and honoring ritual in many families. It's something that is a given, not maybe or however it works out. It's a responsibility that's carried out by each family member. And we see in cultures it might be the oldest son or it might be the daughter or a family member that's not actually a blood family, but, you know, maybe uh, a distant uncle or something. Sure. Yeah. But it's always discussed. It's always something that the family system knows that this is the way we care for our loved ones. And as we're talking about elders, certainly everyone knows that they're going to get to the place where they're going to need to have some care. And because of this family ritual, they know that it's going to be in place. So I don't know if the Bible has the term aging in place, but we certainly have that term in our common vocabulary. Uh, what does that mean when we talk about aging in place? I would say that I see it as um, having a choice. Um, it's a choice in in remaining living wherever um, you you want to be, and that could be in the residence that you have lived in for and raised your families, or um, and living there with adaptations or services provided in that location. It's it's really where you call home, and being able to have access to those supports that allow you to continue to live there. So that can be in in the actual structure of a home that's in the community. Um, it's it's how you interact with whatever makes home, home for you, getting to your faith community, getting out to um, see your friends, uh, to interact with your neighborhood, your neighbors. Um, that's okay. how I see it. So it's it. very holistic. It's the room you're in, the house you're in, the block you're on, the neighborhood, the, the system of supports and organizations you participate in, and so and, on. And it's usually, I mean, you know, 
historically people think of you know staying in your home or going to a nursing home, um, and that's sort of the counter to that. Okay. Um, and so everything Maureen said is exactly right, I think, it, but it also typically means not in a nursing home, m you know, more restrictive kind of setting. Okay. So uh, something you may have some, all have uh, some opinions on, if we just shift for a moment. We've been talking, of course, about informal caregiving, uh, but let's just think a little bit about the formal side. Are there services that we know are effective in supporting caregivers? Uh, you before, Chris, said it's important to care for the caregivers. But uh, what do all of you think about services that are effective in supporting caregivers that enable them to provide better care? Do those exist? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Do. Well, we have unanimity <laughs> there. Uh, Dorothea, yeah. what, would, what would be an example? Well, um, so as I mentioned, I'm just coming off of seven years of uh, caring for my grandmother in our home. And prior to then, uh, she certainly was a very proud woman and wanted to go to a uh, assistant living. She did not want to bother her, um, bother me or the other family members. And so we uh, initially walked out to um, to put her in assistant living and, uh, you know, kind of a nursing home facility. And uh, it was just the... I mean, it's a healthcare system, and you know what we're going through in our healthcare. There's just not enough workers. They're not paid enough, and her care just wasn't uh, acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up having to bring her home. Sure. So uh, yeah, the systems out there. Uh, of course, if you have a choice, you'd rather be with family. That's going right. to give you that kind of uh, attention and love and support that you need. And you know, institutions are doing what they can, but they're you know they're falling pretty okay. short. So that's now. so the institutions to care for. Older people, they have their strengths and limitations. What about what about you in that situation? Was there were there services that uh, were effective in supporting you in the seven years of care you gave to your mother? I did not um, uh, see myself as a caregiver, even oh, okay. in my role as managing the caregiver department, and nor did I want to be a caregiver. I found it very respectful to be the granddaughter caring for my grandmother. grandmother. So I, okay. I didn't really want the term either. That was my honor to be able to do that. Okay. Maureen, any thoughts? What about services that are effective in supporting caregivers to enable them to provide better care? Sure. There's, there's a whole menu of services that are available in our community from support groups, classes, um, evidence-based programs, there's consultation, family meetings. What we have found at Wilder time and time and time again is we're hearing from those caring for older adults that connecting them with other caregivers is the most valuable resource we can mm. do. So bringing people together, whether it be for a cup of coffee, for a, a more formalized support group, um, and listening Having people, us listening as providers to the caregivers, but having the caregivers being able to share with other caregivers, hear that they're not alone, hear that their situation is not as unique as they may think it is. Um, so I think the more we can convene people to come together so that they aren't isolated, they understand the, the benefits, the joys, and the challenges of caregiving, and that they will get through. Um, the particular frustration or challenge right now. So we are trying to focus our energies on ways to build that um, convening of people, mm -hmm. both 
as a destination, but in the community. And how can we help others bring caregivers together? And that that mutuality seems so important, that ability of caregivers to support one another, to uh, maybe get information from one another, see how one another are doing, uh, exchange ideas, yep. uh, and even just be there to, to listen, if nothing else. And I Sounds think important. It is. And I think of one example recently where I was in a conversation with a caregiver who was so isolated, and she just needed to come to get, come and share her story, and yet she was in a very crowded world. She was uh, living in a multi-generational household. Mm-hmm. She had a full-time job. She was very involved in her church community and with her neighborhood, going to the gym but she still felt so alone because she felt like nobody understood mm. the mm-hmm. challenges. So I think it's so important um, to recognize even when people appear to be surrounded by others, they still may be really feeling isolated sure. about this role oh. that they are currently in and not knowing how to how to process all of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I totally agree with you, Maureen. I remember uh, recently going to a, uh, a church and uh, doing a little talk, and uh, I asked, I'm not looking for caregivers. I'm looking for those that have a family member, an elder, someone that they're providing some kind of care and making sure they're safe and being taken care of. I believe all the hands raised in the church. And so that's what we're trying to uh, come away from is a term, but something that is doing, that needs to have support and some uh uh, some kind of gathering that you're talking about. We certainly have, um, you know, support groups and caregiver breakfasts, and things are starting to be very well attended as long as we don't label them. We yeah. have to just be careful oh, okay. and make them feel like, you know, Oops. you're all one and you're all dealing with these same issues in your home. Right. Again, that, that those bonds, the mutuality, the, the similarity. What, what about the overall network of services when you think about the system? People are telling us what they need. And so we have a menu of services. However, we have to be good listeners and be able to have a cultural sensitivity to what works for other populations. And I think that that is going to move us along just a bit further where, uh, for example, there are families that like to have um, in-services, people come into their homes, PCAs, uh, those to help them out. Well, a lot of people are not open to having people come into their homes. And so you might have to find out what works a little better for them in order to keep them in their home, but to work it in a way that is acceptable to them. Sure. So it's going to be important for us to continually learn from people themselves and continually improve what we're doing so we can be more effective. Um, Why don't we move in? That's a good transition into change, taking action. So assume you could change things. What is one thing that you would do as an expert on this topic to address the caregiving issues that we have discussed? Anybody have an idea? Where would you? Just one. Just one. I'm sure you have a lot of ideas, but... But what's one thing you would change, one thing you would do to address the caregiving issues we've discussed? Marie? I would, I'm going to answer this question both as an expert, as you say, uh, in aging services, but also as an expert as a family caregiver. And I really think we have a lot of space to improve in how the family members, those that have been identified as providing direct care, 
are involved as the care team in our healthcare system. I think all too often family caregivers are given directions, uh, given recommendations, and not involved in those decisions. As much as we say we are moving in that direction, there's so much room to improve in that. Sure. Um, because I truly believe that the the health and safety and and quality of care of an older adult is really dependent on the care that's being done in the home in addition to the the formalized medical system we have. So how can we integrate this better and really recognize the role that the family caregiver sure. is offering? Okay. Dorothy, how about you? What's one thing you would do? I think that predominantly many families of color are very familiar and comfortable with caring for their loved ones. And I think that we have to provide an opportunity and a trusted space again to bring families back together to talk about this with the new generation coming in and maybe seeing it a little bit more differently. We are very capable of planning and working this out. We just need to come back to the family, come back to the village, and talk about what's the best way to do this because we really like to keep families, communities, um, culture together. And um, uh, we have to learn to work with the mainstream system in helping us to do what we know we are capable of doing. Sure. Chris, how about you? Well, you know, I think we keep looking for the magic key that's going to unlock this and have caregivers ex accepting all the help that's out there that's been provided for them. And I think what we really need to do is just back up. Um, we need to listen to the caregivers, respond to what caregivers are saying. We need to customize the services for each individual situation. Um, and and we need to be family-centered. We need to be supportive of the families, as Dorothea said, in the communities. We want to lift people up to be able to do to do the work. And I think, as, as Maureen said, too, in the medical system, we have to look at the, the family unit. Um, we have to uh, be supporting everybody who's involved. And, yeah. and if I can add, because I think there is a lot of talk about family caregiving, and we need to define family as also the, the community that a person chooses um, to be in that relationship with, because some there's been a, a movement lately um, really talking about solo seniors and people who don't necessarily have a spouse or children. Um, and so when we talk about family caregiving, it, it can be a broader definition of maybe it's friends and neighbors, um, leaning in in that space um, so as not to alienate those that maybe don't have that traditional family um, that we so often talk about. Sure. So, uh, Maureen, what about policymakers? Uh, they have a lot on their mind. They don't always have a lot of time. What's the message? If you were sitting in the governor's office, and of course we're nonpartisan, we're multipartisan, but if you were sitting with the governor right now or if you were addressing a committee at the legislature, What's the, what's the primary message that you would want to give them regarding how they should address caregiving issues? I would encourage them because they know who their constituents are, and we have a, a, a large older adult population, and we also have a large caregiving population. I would really encourage them to look at every public policy 
uh, proposal, uh, bill, legislative action that comes before them to look at it through the lens of how would this impact an older adult in our communities? A caregiving lens, an older adult caregiving lens. Is and what how recommend. does this impact the family caregiver? Sure. So, I mean, that can okay. be anywhere from from bonding bills and transportation yeah, to everything. to how we're funding long term care, and if we're reducing that, how are we then boosting? community-based supports funding. I mean, there, there needs to be a balance. So if if they could just look at things through that lens, I think we would see some movement in being a more caregiver-friendly community, caregiver-supporting community. Yeah, caregiving lens for all policies. Dorothea, mm-hmm. how about you? Yeah, You're I, sitting there with the gov. What would you, you know say? You know what? I, I totally agree. I, I just would just, you know, make sure that, you know, uh, health equity is, you know, really inclusive. Uh, long-term care, it's, it's inevitable if we can be more proactive knowing that it's coming down. I mean, it's rushing down the pipeline. Uh, I, 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 I would really, really, really uh, agree that we, we have to look at it from a long-term care sure. um, perspective because it's a lens that is um, going to be able to catch people as they come through Sure, integrating it in, into our approach to long-term care. Chris, as a researcher or an, another persona, whatever, yeah, what, what you would know, your... I think we need to look at the, the bottom line is the relationship. And I think um, relationships take time and we just have to be patient. We need to build that in. It isn't always going to be about saving money. Um, that that has to be a piece of it, um, is just being patient. Um, but also on the financial side, I think that there are some things that we could do. And I think sometimes policy makers want to have that kind of fix. Um, And I think that we can be providing financial assistance with tax credits for caregivers. I think that we can be expanding consumer-driven models um, that would allow caregivers and families to um, receive funds and decide how best to use them. Um, sure. within their their own unique um, situations. Okay. So uh, what about advice for just a typical person? Typical person out there in the community, you know, they don't, they're not, have a lot of time necessarily to spend on this issue, but maybe they want to be helpful. What could, what could the typical person in Minnesota or the U.S. do to address the issues we've been discussing? Dorothea, an idea? Yeah, well, I, I would say that... Uh, you know, start talking about it, you know, start, even if you don't have, um, you know, the blood relative, I mean, in in many families, you know, we're not blood, we're just community. And and that's just kind of how we roll. And um, as Maureen mentioned about the the study about the solo seniors, I think that everyone has some kind of network or someone. And so start voicing what it is that you You would like to have your quality of um, life be as you age and um, uh, start putting some of those things in place. I, I even thought about um, uh, Medicare in regards to, uh, you know, maybe that should be a question. You know, it's it's inevitable. Nobody's going to leave this earth without caring for someone or being sure. cared for. So, you know, let's let's take it up a couple of notches and, you know, open up space to be able to talk about this a little more. Mm-hmm. 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 Chris? Oh, I absolutely. I you just, ditto. Yeah, ditto. Big okay. ditto at what Dorothea said. Maureen? I, I agree as well. And in that conversation, um, it's if you know there are people caring for a spouse or parent, um, anyone in their lives, you know, asking them, how's it going? 
and then stop and listen. Don't give the list of, well, you should do this and you should do that. And you know what I did? So often people want to be helpful and they want to tell you how they did it. And I really think you got to give that space when you're checking in with someone that you know is is caregiving, is to check in and really listen. And we need to do more listening. Good. So, uh, Dorothea, Maureen, as we close, question for you. If people want more information about what we've been discussing today, if they want more information about caregiving, where might they look for that? Well, we have a culturally responsive caregiver support and dementia service hotline, and it's in four different languages. And I would welcome our listening audience to give us a call. Sure. And we'll post the link on our website, too. So we'll, okay. we'll get that information out. All righty. Sure. Our number is 952-945-4034. And again, it's in four different languages. So just pick That's up great. the phone and just call and yeah. someone will respond to you. Okay. Maureen? Other ideas? Sure. Well, there's our, our Wilder website, wilder.org. And, you know, on our website, we used to list an exhaustive list of resources. And we're now um, focusing more on stories about family caregiving and in different opportunities and really looking to the local resources like the Senior Linkage Line and minnesotahelp.info for that repository of a list of resources. And I really would just recommend that that families, individuals connect with their local resources to know what's available locally. Um, I've heard from a lot of caregivers that there's so many resources out there that it gets overwhelming. But the, the national ones that I tend to go to are the National Alliance for Caregiving, the Family Caregiver Alliance, AARP. And most recently, I've been really um, excited about the work that Next Avenue is doing, um, doing some stories, um, some interviews, and giving some tips in a, in a very modern, relevant way. So there's a number of resources, and we can post them um, on the website. Great. Thank you. So thanks again to our three guests, Maureen Kenny from Aging Services at the Amherst H. Wilder Foundation, Dorothea Harris from the Volunteers of America, Minnesota Culturally Responsive Caregiver Support and Dementia Consultation, and Kristen Lindbergh from Wilder Research. Please visit our website, www.wilderresearch.org, for more information on this topic. And if you have suggestions for a future podcast, please let us know. I'm Paul Matesic from Wilder Research, and I look forward to talking through the numbers with you on other topics. <laughs>